welcome to The Scriptures Are Real. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have become more real to us because we believe that helps us draw more power into our lives. I'm your host, Kerry Mielstein, and this short cast is just going to cover a couple of the elements and symbols uh, of judgment and then at the end, hope that we find in the book of Amos. And I'm just going to give you a little preview, bullet point list of the things we're going to talk about. We're going to cover the prophecies against other nations and see if we can make some sense of them. Then we're going to look at some specific images of judgment pronounced against Judah and Israel and why and and what we should learn from them. A couple of them are a little bit difficult. And then we're going to look at the message of hope that it's at the end of the book of Amos. So let's jump in. We're going to look at chapter one, and uh, we see that uh, it starts out by uh, using kind of a, uh, a an idiom, I guess, a way of saying things in ancient Israel, uh, where he's going to prophesy against Damascus. But he says, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. So that's that's like saying yeah, for like nine or ten things, you've you're in trouble, right? Uh, we it's just a, a little phrase like that, like oh, like ninety nine or a hundred things or whatever. It's just similar to that, okay? But this is what he accuses uh, Damascus, and that's the capital of Syria. So this is him talking about Syria, and in verse three of chapter one, he says it's uh, because they have threshed Gilead with threshing instruments of iron. So Gilead is an area across the River Jordan um, that is in modern-day Jordan, but it was an area that was inhabited by Israelites. It was part of uh, the territory of Manasseh and so on. And uh, so he's saying, because you have destroyed my covenant people, you've done all these terrible things to them, uh, you're going to to have some bad things happen to you because you shouldn't do that to my covenant people. Uh, Then we get to verse 6. Thus saith the Lord God, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four. So again, this is that same idiom. Gaza is a Philistine city. So this is against the Philistines. And what is he upset? Because they've carried away captive the whole captivity. So probably a better translation is they've taken um, a, a whole group into captivity to deliver them up into Edom. So apparently, and we're going to see that a few people are involved in this, there are some people who have taken large groups, I would assume, of Judeans. So Philistines and others seems to have combined to take groups of uh, Judeans and capture them, maybe whole towns, whole villages, or whole groups or something along those lines, and sold them as slaves into Edom or uh, or helped Edom uh, in a victory or a battle against them, something along those lines. So again, they haven't taken care of, uh, or they haven't, uh, they've been against God's covenant people, and that's what he's unhappy about. Uh, we get this also in Ashkelon, which is another Philistine city in verse 8, then verse 9, for three transgressions of Tyrus and for four. Uh, so this these are the Phoenicians, and they've done the same thing. They've taken this group of people captive into Edom. And then we get verse 11, thus saith the Lord for three transgressions of Edom and for four, because he did pursue his brother. Now that would be Israel. Remember that uh, Edom, they're descended from Esau and Israel from Israel or Jacob. So these are the brothers, right? Uh, the sons of Rebekah and Isaac. Uh, they they did pursue them with the sword and did cast off all pity and anger and did tear uh, perpe- uh, perpetually and kept his wrath forever. Uh, so that's that's bad stuff. All right. So they've they've been at war and continually fighting against the Israelites. Verse 13, for three transgressions of the children of Ammon and for four. So these are the Ammonites. 
Um, and they have ripped up the women with child of Gilead that they might enlarge their borders. So basically they've also taken over part of Gilead and they've done so in some pretty brutal fashions. All right. So he's unhappy with, with all of them. And so they're all going to have some kind of punishment. We get that a little bit in chapter two as well. Thus saith the Lord for three transgressions of Moab and for four, I will not turn away the punishment because he burned the bones of the king of Edom into lime. So actually he's unhappy that the Moabites have been fighting the Edomites. So he doesn't want any of this kind of battle and all this bad stuff going on. He would rather have peace. All right. So then he gets into accusing Judah and Israel after this. So he accuses the nations around them, tells them what they've been doing wrong. Then he gets into accusing Judah and Israel. And in the next episode, uh, which will be one that I co-host with Lamar, we get into specifically what he is accusing Judah uh, and Israel of it, for me, it's one of the more, I don't know, I thought it was a pretty powerful episode where we, we had some discussions that made me really introspect and and think about myself and and uh, some things I needed to change. Um, so I'll let you listen to that episode uh, to learn what he says in chapter two, three, four, and five that Judah and Israel are doing wrong. We're going to jump to chapter seven. <clears throat> All right. So. I think it's probably the most powerful stuff in Amos is in chapters two through five or six. Uh, and that's covered in this next episode. Uh, but we get to chapter seven, where we get some interesting uh, images that are used as uh, Isaiah sees, or Amos sees this in vision. Thus hath the Lord God shewed unto me, and behold, he formed grasshoppers in the beginning of the shooting up of the latter growth. And lo, it was the latter growth after the king's mowing. So... We don't know this really well or understand it perfectly, but it would seem that, uh, you know, we have in the U.S. kind of a tradition that uh, be, you pay so much in taxes that you work until like, I don't know what it is, like May 20th or something like that uh, for the government. And after that, you're working for yourself. Well, that seems to be a fairly literal thing that your first crop, most of that's going to go to the king to pay taxes. So they call it the king's mowing. So after you've done that and paid uh, your first harvest to the king. And so now you're going to get what you can really live off of, that you're going to get these grasshoppers that will come and eat all your stuff. And and uh, Amos pleads for this. He says, uh, I, I, after he sees that they make an end of eating all this, I said, oh, Lord God, forgive, I beseech thee. By whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. So he basically says, uh, you can't bring this much punishment upon Israel or the house of Judah or Jacob. Uh, we're just not big enough to be able to take this stuff. So the Lord changes and says that he won't do it. Verse. B, so he listens to the intercessor in this case. Verse 4, thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, the Lord God called to contend by fire, and it devoured uh, the great deep and did eat up a part. So even the sea, it's devouring, right? And again, he pleads and says, uh, if you do this kind of punishment to Jacob, how are they going to arise? They're so small. And verse six, he again changes. Verse seven, thus he shewed me, and behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line with a plumb line in his hand. Now note the difference here. This time, he, God's going to ask him some things. And the Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a plumb line. Then said the Lord, behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not again pass by them anymore. So note what he's saying. I'm measuring them. A plumb line is used to measure how how straight something is, how just or upright it is, right? And he's saying, I'm measuring them basically, and they're they're found wanting, and I'm I keep passing by because you asked me to, but I can't keep doing it. I'm done passing by them. That's that's it. They are going to have to pay a price. Uh, verse nine. He tells more about that destruction. 
And then we get this uh, contest with Amaziah that um, uh, we'll talk about in the next episode with uh, Lamar. And then we get to chapter eight, where we get more of these images. Uh, verse one, thus hath the Lord God shewed unto me and behold a basket of summer fruit. So this is the last fruit. Summer fruit is the last fruit they're going to harvest and there's no more fruit to harvest. So we get like in section four, the field is wide already to harvest. This one, the field's already been harvested. Okay. So verse two, and he said, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then said the Lord unto me, the end is come upon my people of Israel. I will not again pass by them anymore. And the songs of the temple shall be howlings in that day, saith the Lord. There shall be many dead bodies in every place. Uh, they shall cast them for, uh, forth with silence. So you get the idea um, that, and after that, he gets after them about not taking care of the poor which is, uh, again, part of what we talk about in the next episode with Lamar. Uh, but you get these images of judgment in Amos that I think are, are really important, where he's trying to tell them, uh, you need to change, you need to change. Uh, I'm giving you a chance, I'm giving you a chance. Okay, you've gotten to the point where there's no more chances. Uh, you are going to be scattered. This seems to be the only thing. Let's remember what we learned from Hosea. Punishment is with a purpose. This is going to help them. This seems to be the only thing that will really help them to repent is when punishment and scattering happens. All of the warnings and all of the small things have not brought this about. That's the only thing that will finally get them to repent and and hopefully they will change. So with that in mind, let's go to chapter nine and he gives more uh, images of destruction and the punishment that's going to come. So look in chapter nine, verse two through three. Uh, Though they dig into hell, thence shall my hand take them. Though they climb up to heaven, thence will I bring them down. And though they hide themselves in the top of Carmel, I will search and take them out thence. And though they be hid from my sight in the bottom of the sea, thence will I command the serpent and he shall bite them. Basically he's saying, it doesn't matter where you hide. There ain't no mountain high enough. There ain't no valley low enough. Right, that I can't find you and punish you. You cannot escape punishment. So often we think we can, but no, we can't escape. Cannot escape punishment. They will be humbled. They will be brought low, um, and he's going to to bring these things upon them, uh, the, this humbling. But then we're eventually going to get. Well, let's look at verse nine. For lo, I will command, and I will sift the house of Israel among all nations, like as corn sifted in the sieve, or as grain sifted in the sieve. Yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. Right, so. He's going to scatter them, but now we get verse 11. And in that day, so in a later day, when they finally do repent, when they finally do come to him, in that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen and close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the heathen which are called by my name, saith the Lord that doeth this. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him that soweth seeds, and the mountain shall drop sweet wine and all the hills shall melt. So you see, he's saying, I'm going to finally, you're, I'm going to rebuild the tabernacle or the temple and and have Davidic rulership there. Both of those are part of the Abrahamic covenant. So he's saying, I'll reestablish the covenant and give you the blessings of it. You're going to prosper so much that... Um, you're, you're, the, as you're plowing, you're going to be overtaking the guy who's uh, harvesting. It's just going to be such a continuous cycle. The same thing is the person who's uh, uh, treading the grapes to make wine is going to be right with the guy who's sowing the seeds for the wine. It's just going to be a continuous cycle of prosperity is what he's saying. So much so that the hills, it will be as if the hills melt with the wine and give them all this good stuff. 
Now, verse 14, and I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel. That That's better translated as saying, and I will re- return them from their captivity. And they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. They shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them. Uh, now, earlier, Amos has said, you're going to try and do this stuff, and then you're going to be destroyed. You won't get to live in your houses. You won't get to drink your wine because you're going to be destroyed. But now he's saying, no, you get to do all that stuff. Verse 15, and I will plant them upon their land. That's Abrahamic covenant imagery. All of this is. And they shall no more be pulled up out of their land, which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. So it ends with all of these symbols of the covenant being fully restored and receiving the full blessings of the covenant. As so often happens in these prophetic writings, we get lots of warning and uh, images of destruction and scattering and humbling, but it's followed by eventually Israel does come back and the blessings flow, and they receive all the promises of the covenant. And that's equally true for us as any covenant individual. If we will at any point return to God, just turn to God, then we can receive the full, amazing, magnificent blessings of the covenant. And of that I testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.